Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Yes, yes, it is Wednesday, January 29th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 287. So much to do, so little time. My name is Caleb Haig. Thankful for a new water heater that my dad helped me install. I'm Rob <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. Uh, Thankful that the old leaky one didn't make a super big, unmanageable mess. Yeah, no doubt. I, You know, I got to say, I'm excited for today, and the reason why is because I'm pulling a, a switcheroo on Mr. Van Hoff. That's quite all right. I, I, need some, I need some spontaneity here. We had a couple of things that we were going to talk about, and at the last minute, I remembered. I was like, aha, that's right. There were some emails that came in, and I said I was going to talk about them, and we never talked about them. So, you know, there's that. By the way, hey, if if you guys hear Rob like peeking out, if if, if there's any distortion, let me know. In my chat room, I don't know. I don't know, but in the, some of the past videos, there's been some issues. So Check I, I, I want to try test. to fix that. I don't know if it's maybe a Skype. We're changing, by the way. Uh, thanks to our, uh, uh, producers and, uh, also those who support this show on a monthly basis, which you can do, by the way, if you want to help support this show, you can do so for as little as $5 a month. That's right. For the price of a latte each month at Starbucks, you can support this show and get access to Messiah Matters More. I guarantee there will be a Messiah Matters More video sometime either new either sometime today or tomorrow because uh, we have a lot to talk about mm. anyway the point being because of our supporters and our producers uh we are going to be moving platforms i i think everyone who is a regular uh to this show knows we've had significant problems with our software crashes freezes all around not happiness has been going on. And so we're going to try to fix all that. And uh, I've been researching some different companies that do what we need them to do. We're going to do some trial runs this coming week. And um, yeah. Oh, I forgot to pull up my, you know, I have no sound effects right now. Uh, That's okay. I've got our theme song just like bouncing. Bouncing in your head. Hey, LaRue. LaRue is in our LaRue is in our chat room. Welcome, LaRue. It's good to see you. For those who don't know who LaRue is, she uh, she is like producer number uh, producer number zero. She's like the the producer of producers. She has she has helped produce this show every single every single quarter 
since we started producerships. And it is not very often that we see her in the chat room. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome to everyone in the chat room, by the way. Looks like we, uh, they're, they're trickling in. Yeah, exactly. The OG says the chat room. That's right. Okay, this comes from Jeremiah. This is a good, good question and one that can be brief, but one that we can talk about. He says, wondering if you could expound on how wearing tzitzit, keeping Shabbat, feast days, and eating clean sanctifies us before the Lord. I know these are commandments. It's easier to understand how love sanctifies us or the other commands, but how do those four above work in the sanctification process? I'm going to kick this off because I have some thoughts on this. First of all, we need to understand what the word sanctification means. To be sanctified, also to be holy, means to be set apart. Actually, I think that uh, these things, eat, keeping Shabbat, keeping the feast days, and um, was there another one he said? Eating clean and unclean food, oh. or eating kosher food. I think it actually sanctifies us. Well, it, first of all, it is love, right? That is love. That is love of the Almighty, and, and uh, it's it, it's an outward expression of the love that God has for us. Well, right. Yeshua says any com- all the commandments hang on the commandment of love. So it sounded—now, I don't remember the words of the email exactly, but it sounded like they were pitted against love. Like, are they—and and maybe I, I can understand if people think that those are the most important things. Like, the most important thing today is that I— eat biblically or what or or I don't eat any shrimp or whatever. And then they're gonna bicker and argue with everybody and whatever, but they didn't eat shrimp, you know. Then yeah, that that's the problem. <laughs> but here's know? the that's... here's the here's the point. I've known people who are unbelievers. Now I'm not saying that it's the same, but they're very kind people. They tend to love you know, their families, love even strangers. And so and they're not believers. Now, is that the kind of love that the Bible's talking about? I would say not necessarily. But the point is, is how does how does the love of a believer, outward love of a believer, in terms of liking other people, show Christ where a non-religious person having compassion for someone wouldn't? The point is, is that to be set apart, look, when you're standing in a crowd of people and you're the only one wearing tzitzit, something looks different. When my kids go to the pizza party and they're the only kids not eating the pepperoni pizza, they're different. What are they? They're set apart. Torah, in general, sets us apart. Now, all of this is wrapped up into love, right? This is all part of love. And the way that we act towards other people, whether they're believers or non-believers, should be an outward expression of the Holy Spirit within us. And we're us. learning, right, we're learning what God's love is in, in our obedience. We're not defining what love is and then trying to live by it. We're We're in obedience, learning what it means to love God and to love one another. Uh, so and all the commandments depend on that. Christina brings up a, a good point. She says, isn't it the Lord who does the work of sanctification? No, not necessarily. It's a dual work. Sanctification is a dual work between God and us. What do you mean the commandments sanctify us? Just to clarify. What I mean is that God has given us his way of being set apart. How... What does God say? He says in the Torah, be holy, be set apart, be sanctified, for I am sanctified, because I'm set apart, I am holy. And then then what does he do? He shows us how he's holy, which is Torah. He gives us holiness. He says, this is how you're to be holy. Walk in my ways. Walk Walk in in my my ways. Do what I tell you to do, and this is how you do it. And so when we do those things with in, in co-unison with the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about here shortly, when we, when we do these things, we're doing them in concert with the Holy Spirit. We cannot please God outside of the Holy Spirit, faith in Yeshua and the Holy Spirit. You can't please God by disobedience. Ex- well, it, but the point is, is that you can't, a person who doesn't know Christ and a person who, does, who doesn't uh, uh, have a covenant relationship with the Lord through Christ cannot please God. Paul tells us this in Romans. Without faith, you can't please God. Exactly. And anything that is not of faith is sin, right? I mean, we have all this. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, but the point is, is that when we have faith and we come to the Lord through Yeshua, then we 
begin to be sanctified in unison with the Holy Spirit. There's something in us that pushes against that called the flesh. But ultimately, sanctification is being set apart. And so it doesn't matter if, if it's uh, you know doing the kind thing and helping the little old lady across the street or wearing tzitzit or keeping the Shabbat or not lying, being faithful to your spouse, uh, submitting to uh, the authority that God has placed over you. All of those things are part of sanctification. That's what I would say. Great question, though. Okay. Um, if you would like to be a part of this conversation, please do so by calling our comment line 253-465-3205. I'm going to say it again because somebody who listens to this show every single week was like, I got the 253 part down, but I can't remember the rest. That's like me. Yeah, 253-465-3205. And you can also send us an email, Heg. It's my first initial, C, and then my last name, Heg, H-E-G-G, at torresource.com. By the way, if you're sending things to seahag at torahresources.com, it will not reach me because that is not an email address. Our company is torahresource.com. Speaking of our company, Torah Resource is ultimately produced and provided by torahresource.com. Go to Torah Resource, find all sorts of wonderful resources to help Messiah you. Messiah Matters is produced as well, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I said Torah. I'm sorry. Yes, That's Messiah right. Matters is produced by Torah Resource. Okay. Um, I haven't eaten this morning. I'm going to blame it on that. Okay, so let's get into some things that uh, that Mr. Van Hoff is not ready for. Here, here we go. Jamie writes... And most things in life. <laughs> uh, Jamie writes and says, I've been watching your show off and on for a while now. I normally watch your recording. I hope you can answer some of my personal concerns on your show. I'm fairly new to the understanding of doctrines of grace. For those who don't know, what the, if you're new to this program or you don't know what the doctrines of grace are, doctrines of grace is also uh, termed the five points of Calvinism. And for those who don't know, we're, uh, Rob and I hold to the doctrines of grace. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Jamie I actually said, like that name better than calling it the five points of Calvinism. Absolutely. And we've, uh, we've talked about the history of, of uh, Calvinism um, and actually, no, that's not true. Kingdom of the Son of God says by John Calvin. No, actually, no. No, no, no. Yes, that's no, absolutely no. not true. The uh, five points of Calvinism were not uh, concocted by John Calvin. They were uh, responses. They, they were to responses to a remonstrance uh, <clears throat> in in Denmark uh, by a council. We we did a whole show on that, or two, or three. Yeah. Um, way back though that's probably a couple of years ago yeah so but the point is is that that's uh whoever thinks that uh john calvin came up with the five points of calvinism is mistaken it's simply not true that's anyway. why i like the doctrines of grace better just because it it's describing what it is yes okay but in any event this person says uh, jamie says i grew up with uh, a free will model of beliefs i now believe the doctrines of grace is more biblical and that's bothering me <laughs> Well, my questions are listed below if you could address them. Thank you. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit in me? So now this is going to move from a question of doctrines of grace to a Trinitarian doctrine. Um, so this person, Jamie, has laid out the fact that they now believe in the doctrines of grace. And of course, I believe personally that the do doctrines of grace and the Trinity are 100% intertwined and that to try to separate them, you can't do so. Now, of course, this would be um, strongly opposed by any Christian or believer who believes in the Trinity and also uh, rejects the doctrines of grace. However, that's my belief. Um, so the question is, how do I know the Holy Spirit is in me? Jamie goes on, this is concerning to me because I want to have the Holy Spirit, but I know I still sin. I fall into sin more times than I should, don't we all? I honestly want to turn from my sin, but I find myself returning to it. If I had the Holy Spirit, I would stop sinning. So the doctrine now that now all of these doctrines, by the way, when I say doctrines, it should be noted that all of these doctrines are based on a slew of scriptures. So we use these names for doctrines like the doctrine of perfectionism, which I reject, and so does Rob. We reject the idea of 
uh, the doctrine of perfectionism. The doctrine of perfectionism says that we can become perfect. Once we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we no longer sin. We become perfect because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And this is going to get into some of the other questions that we're going to address in a few minutes. But I digress. Uh, Jamie goes on, I want nothing more than the Holy Spirit so it can change my heart and mind so that I don't sin against God. Okay, do you want to start or would you like me to? Well, on that, just on that last point right there, let me just repeat it back, make sure I tra- I'm tracking. I want the Holy Spirit so that I will not sin against God. Is that basically? Yes. Okay. And, you know, it sounds an awful lot like Psalm 51, you know, um, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me, renew in me a right spirit, or create in me a clean heart. Um, but that's King David who already had been anointed, who already had the Holy Spirit when right. he's when he's saying Psalm 51. So that's one aspect, is the person who feels genuine brokenness and remorse before God for transgressing God's holy law, for, for um, transgressing against the the holy, amazing, beautiful, glorious Savior, that that is the Holy Spirit working in you to confess. And that's how you know the truth is in you. Because, and we read this, I think, even last week or the week before in 1 John 1. You know, if, if, if we say we have no sin, truth is not in us. But on the flip side, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to cleanse us and uh, or forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, or yeah, all unrighteousness. I'm totally paraphrasing now. But the presence of God in your heart is the light that helps you see your sin. And that's that's point one of the tulip, right? Total depravity. Um, David, in, the, in Psalm 51... It's not that he never had the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit was gone. It's that he's having a moment of a, a good look in the mirror of his own depravity, and he's crying out to God. This is no different than Isaiah chapter 6, where, where Isaiah, who we don't imagine Isaiah, you know, we don't know that he did anything near what David did, commit adultery, murder, you know, lie and deceive, all this kind of stuff. He was a prophet of God. He had a vision of the Holy One of God, or the whole, uh, uh, what does it say? He says he saw the Lord in, the, in, the, in his glory. He saw the seraphim calling out, holy, 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 one to another. And what does Isaiah do? He says, woe is me. I have unclean lips and I live amid, you know. He sees that sharp contrast between the, the pure, holy, bright, white, pristine, holiness, holy light of God, in sharp uh, contradiction with the darkness of, of humanity. And, and so, you know, and then it's from heaven that, that it's addressed. So it says that one of the seraphim gets the, the, the uh, sorry, the firebrand or whatever. I don't remember what, what the word is, but he touches his lips and he says, your, your sins are atoned, Right. So the idea is that atonement was an action on Isaiah in this vision that came from heaven, not something he did for himself. And then his reply was, send me. Like, I'm yours. Like, like I belong to you. Um, that's, that's the picture here. So if someone, but, but here's the danger. So, so I say Psalm 51, Isaiah 6, in support of the idea of someone who's saying, yeah, I want the Holy Spirit so I don't sin against God. At one level, you can say Psalm 51, 1 John 1, you know, Isaiah 6. But on the flip side, we got to be careful of this perfectionist or false humility. False humility. As if somehow, well, you know, God just hasn't given me the Holy Spirit yet, so now there's nothing I can do because, you know, I sin. And therefore... Because there's sin in my life, I must not have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, God hasn't given it to me. Therefore, I don't even know if the Holy Spirit is really. Yeah, there's, part there, of the, there's a doubt right? game. There's a doubt game that goes on here. Yeah, so so I'm just saying you you want to be real care, careful in this, and and in the long run, the tree will 
will produce the kind of fruit that it is. So if you're looking at the trajectory of your life, you look over the last year, over the last five years, over the last 10 years, if you can see and other people that are close to you in your life can see a, a trajectory of growth, of increasing love of God, increasing love of neighbor, increasing love for his word, and and just a general positivity about your walk with God in spite of the trials of life, that is good testimony that could encourage, serve to encourage your heart in moments of, of darker doubt. But if you have nothing, if you look over the last five, 10 years and you have nothing but broken relationships and you've been kicked out of that church and then you left this other fellowship and that guy treated you bad and that other person treated me bad and I just, you know, and I don't even know if God's with me, then we'd have a different conversation because it sounds like there's some uh, spiritual maturity that is, uh, hasn't been clarified for you and that, you know, there's a path for you to, to have some discipleship and to grow and to get straightened out. Um, There's something that, that, there's something that just went on in the chat room and I put, I put kingdom of the son of God in timeout for 300 seconds. The reason why is because this was off topic, but there is a point that he, that this person was trying to make, which is a horrible, I mean, it's just not logical. They said that the, uh, the reformers were horrible people and murderers, why anyone with the spirit of the Lord would never be a murderer. Um, God uses all sorts of people. All you have to do is read the Bible. He uses Balaam, a sorcerer. By the way, the reason you have a printed Bible is because of the reformers. Yeah, exactly. In your language. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so if you're, if you're using an English Bible, then, then, uh, and you don't want anything to do with the reformers, go ahead and throw that out. Um, Go go join the Catholics. Yeah, Exactly. But the, the point is, is that the idea that, uh, that, that God wouldn't use people or that we shouldn't use anything that comes from people who are uh, human, uh, then we need to read our Bible. God uses a donkey. God uses Balaam, right? Right. God uses a, a, the witch of Endor. God uses, I mean, the, uh, David, King David, who is an adulterer, Right. And kills a man, he murders a man so he can have dude's wife. You're gonna tell me that? I mean, just totally illogical. I agree with you, Rob. I think that the um, let's come back to this person's email. I think that the idea that you desperately want to please the Lord shows something of the Holy Spirit. Now. I think that there that you need to go a step farther, obviously. But the point is, is that we as believers, to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit means that we, it doesn't mean we become perfect. We stumble, we sin, but that bothers us. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, it bothers us, and we continually strive to please the Lord. That's what I think it means. This person goes on. Question two, is there anything I can do or be done? Yes, there is. Read your Bible. Pray daily, learn about the word, and and seek God. Seek God. And then the question goes on. If I don't have it, I think that means the Holy Spirit, then is there anything I can do to have it? I have faith in Yeshua. I believe he died for the elect, but I'm not sure one of his, I'm not sure I'm one of his elect. I've asked and even begged God for the Holy Spirit. Or for my heart to be changed. I just don't feel any different. This is a problem of feeling. And I think that this is one of the big problems we have with the Pentecostal movement. Is that the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a feeling that we have. It's not. Now, there might be feelings that come along with our belief. And with our practice. And with following after the Lord. But the point is is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not some euphoric state that you all of a sudden reach. The fact that you're striving after and begging the Lord for the Holy Spirit, what does Luke say? If a, if a child asks his father for a present, will, he, will the father give him, I'm paraphrasing, give him a rock? Will he give him a serpent? Certainly not. How much more will your father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it? Okay, so the point is, is that what do you think, what is your expectation of getting the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that everything's going to be great and you're going to feel indwelled and this euphoric feeling of, of the Holy Spirit indwelling you? I don't think so. 
I think what it means is that we now struggle. We struggle constantly against sin. Having the Holy Spirit is a struggle because it is a struggle to be sanctified. Thoughts? No, that's it. Okay. True repentance. I know that the that true repentance I, is... I, I, go ahead. I do have a thought on, on that, though, now that kind go of a leg there. I wonder if people's thought about other religions, like they see how other religions worship, like, you know, Buddha, you see the statues of the Buddha, and they're always like this, it's this smile, eyes closed, smile, and the idea is detachment, like like some sort of like... Um, I don't know. What do they call that? Is that, that's, uh, not Satori. Satori is the Japanese is, um, it's not Zen. It's, uh, it's, uh, in Nirvana. Transcendental meditation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or there's different, you know, religious ideas of, well, in the sixties and set, you know, there's like the idea of doing drugs and, and, uh, somehow, you know, I don't know what they call it basically, but it's like you, you, you're changing your consciousness, right. Into some sort of other thing and you kind of escape your problems or something. I don't know. I wonder if people are influenced sometimes. I don't mean that this particular email, but it's it make, I just asked a question like, you know, I've got, if ever I go to a Barnes and Noble, I go over to the religion section, right. And you're looking through and you see, it's the same thing with the Chabad and, and, and Kabbalah. They, they believe that there's a way that it's ecstasy. Like you actually like want right. to uh, muster up this religious experience of euphoria or um, uh, I think they call it ecstasy. Hit palelut, I think it is in Hebrew. Hit palelut, that's what the, the, the Chabad calls it. But the idea is that somehow you like transcend your problems. And I wonder if people then, because there's just this idea of new age and stuff like that in our culture, that people think that, oh, these are, the, this is the pattern. You know, this is the categories that I bring to the gospels. And, oh, so Holy Spirit must just mean I transcend and I, I never feel any struggle or I never feel any pain anymore. And, um, and that life's going to be easy. I mean, look at Yeshua in the garden. I mean, Yeshua didn't, uh, you know, he was obedient. He had the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was with him. Father was with him, but he struggled and suffered. He was rejected. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was left alone. You know, he's mocked, tortured, killed. Right. And you could say at any one of those, any one of us say, oh, God must have, you know, maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit anymore or something, you know, because of all these external things. And that's back to your point, I guess. This is a long rabbit trail around the idea of responding to my feelings. How do other religions respond to negative feelings and the desire to get rid of them? You know, Buddhism is like, well, you just got to detach, you know, because it's all suffering and you know, the Sufis or the whirling dervishes do their dances, you know, and all that kind of thing. Okay, I'll stop now. Yeah, there's some interesting heresy going on in the chat room. Um, the idea that uh, we keep the commandments and then God gives us the Holy Spirit is simply not biblical. Yeah, that's that's not true. Um, it's, Even it's, Ezekiel it's, says, I will pour my spirit in them, and then they will wa walk, walk in, in my ways. ways. Right, exactly. Yeah. We are justified by faith by, through the Holy, through God and the Holy Spirit, right? And then what happens? And then we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and then we become sanctified. We can't keep the commandments until we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And when and there, you have the, this, was it Simon Magus, when he wants the Holy Spirit, it's totally for the wrong person. He, he doesn't see repentance as a beautiful thing. He sees, oh, they have, they can heal. They can do this extra magic that I can't do. So what? how do I do that? That was his motive. My patience is being uh, being tested here. But the, the fact of the matter is, is I can't stand it when people say, oh, just read John 14 and 15. Oh, just, just read Romans 8. Oh, just read. Look, we've all read our Bible. 
We've all read our Bible all the way through, right? I mean, at least most of us have. Many times, for that matter. So the idea that Some you're... even in Chinese. Yeah, the, the idea that your bad interpretation is all of a sudden going to pop out to people because your heresy is, is, more, is more obvious than others? Come on. So what's the heresy? Because I'm not in the chat room. Well, it's not even worth been, it. Worth I, it. I, I'm actually happy that this was imposed on me. <laughs> yes. Okay, true repentance. I know that true repentance is a gift from God that comes with the Holy Spirit. I really do want true repentance in my life. I sin and I feel guilty and try to turn from it, but I find myself falling again. I know that true repentance is turning from sin altogether. What What does that mean, though? Once well, I again, would ask, are they in, in, in any accountability networks are they regularly meeting and praying with other believers are they regular like like weekly or more than weekly um do they have trusted friends in the lord that they can share difficult things their struggles with who won't judge them people who will love them and and help them if you don't have that then you're 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 in a non-sustainable position in the body you need to get you need to get it you need to get around people you trust. You need to get in a network of, uh, of people that are going to hold you accountable or that you'll just be ac accountable with in terms of just life, long-term life. Who are you doing life with, right, in the, in the long but term? But I think there's more that's going on here. I, I, I feel a, a very strong air of perfectionism. Granted, you know, my grandfather used to say... Um, when you when you re, when you come to Christ, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not that you don't sin; it's just that it becomes farther and farther between sin. And this is a this is an interesting way to put it. In other words, we strive to to not sin. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have the flesh working in us still, right? Until we are perfected by Christ, and. This is a struggle. This is the this is the struggle against flesh and blood, right? Or not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers' powers. So you know, so um, I, I, the idea to this person, to Jamie, the idea that you're going to all of a sudden become perfect because God has indwelled you is simply not what we find in scriptures. Now I know that people are going to go to First John and and whatnot, but uh, I, I I think that that needs to be looked at differently, uh, and in accordance with the rest of scripture, right? <clears throat> um, and yeah, if, exactly. The, the chat room says we hate our sin and we despise it. Exactly. If you're doing the same sin over and 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 over again, that's a problem. And yeah. that's what's that's what First John's addressing. That's why it uses the present, the present continual aspect of the verb. It's the person who continues over and over and over again to commit the same sin. That's that's an issue and that's where the accountability back to, we were talking about Galatians 6 I think last week it says brothers you know if there's someone who's trapped in sin that means they're in dark they don't see it they don't know they're repeating it or they're they or they're you know I mean there could be a couple different ways but well, it says you're spiritual go and seek to restore watch your watching yourself lest you too be tempted and taking steps right taking steps to try to to you know Cut off your, <laughs> gouge out your eye if your eye makes you stumble. In other words, look, if you know, and the, uh, the example of adultery has come up, if you, if you repent of adultery, then five years later you commit adultery. Did you really ever repent in the first place? Well, the point is, is that a person who is truly re repentant of a sin like that is going to try to take steps to make it so that they're not in that situation again, right? To, to try to be accountable, like Rob was saying, be in an accountable place. If there was a person in in our fellowship that committed adultery, well, first of all, I, I don't even want to think about it because it's so brutal. But let's just say you have a community. I don't want to talk about my. Uh, you have a community, and that happens. There would be, I, I mean, you'd have to know the specifics. But then, if five years later the same person did it again, that would be gone. That's that's, yeah, that's um, that. But but uh, whether or not look. Sin is there, sin to God. He is ultimate. He is. He is. Uh, he is holy. He is what holiness is. Right. 
So one transgression against God is an infinite transgression against God. Okay, fair enough. But why is it that God makes it so that if you, uh, you know, if you commit adultery, you're stoned to death? But if you eat unkosher food, what happens? Nothing. Eating unkosher food is an abomination in the eyes of God. But you don't get stoned. You don't get flogged. It is a it is a a rift between you and God. Why? Because there is different levels of of the impact of what happens to other people. Adultery is an egregious sin in many many different ways. Not that eating unkosher food isn't, but adultery is an egregious sin as it affects so many people. That this is one of the reasons that there is a a, a stiffer penalty for it, or a penalty at all. So the point is, is when you bring up an extreme like, okay, adultery, obviously, if you're going to, if you have somebody who's going to commit adultery multiple times, something is desperately wrong. Now, I'm not saying that something isn't desperately wrong if, if, uh, you know, someone's lying or if someone, you know, uh, samples the bacon at the, uh, you know, at the deli. There's obviously something going on there, too. But the fact of the matter is, is that we fight against the flesh. The flesh does come up. However, Things like, you know, if you all of a sudden find yourself in another woman's bed besides your wife, there are, I mean, there are multiple steps that have gone and multiple sins, multiple sins way, right? that have, yeah. have been committed along the way. Yeah, starting with not watching over your heart, because those are, Yeshua says, that starts in the heart. Right. All sin, all sin against God starts in the heart, because we've taken our eyes off of him, and we're, we're looking at ourselves or trying to trying to please the flesh. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. This is a, I mean, which is stated in scripture, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, last one, just give up question mark. My final question is, should I simply give up? If I'm not one of God's elect, then what more can I do? I hate myself for the way I am. I hate that I keep sinning. I do think, think, about punishing myself, or worse, for what I was created to be. Maybe I was created to be a vessel of, for wrath. I want to be saved, but not sure that I am. Am I overthinking? Again, I just wonder if this person's in any kind of community at all. I, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. The reason why, it's hard for me to imagine somebody who's regularly hearing the Word of God taught and pre- the gospel preached and is spending quality time with other believers to go to go there ultimately i think this is a works based salvation oh yeah oh, yeah i mean that's what i mean it's like they're they're if i do well enough god will accept me they're trying to think it think it all through the point is is that the that we love god because he first loved us We conform to the Almighty because of what he's done for us. Not because I'm a great person, not because I've kept enough of the commandments. He loved us while we were still, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Ephesians 2. The point is, is that while we were in darkness, he loved us enough to die for us. And it is because of this that we strive after him. The fact that this person is so torn within themselves over these things shows that there is a struggle that's going on. Look, if the Holy Spirit... I know, Granted, I think that there are some people who lose this battle. I've thought like this before in my life. I think other people have as well. But the point is, is that the reason that that, that this is such a conflict. Why is it such a conflict? If you didn't have any notion of God or what you should do, or you were not convicted in any way, this wouldn't be an issue for you. I'd be able to sin all I want. Exactly. And this is also why doctrine is important. Right. And so we're, you know, and here's, here's the, I mean, the core logic is this. Do you love God or not? If you love God, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. And do you spend time in the scripture? What is your worship life like? What is your, if you look at your calendar of your day or of your week, 
and you filled in your time of, of worship of God, what does that look like? Your prayer life, what does it look like? Because if you're not worshiping God, if you're not, if you don't have a, a life where you're praying to God, how can you tell him you love him? How many times a day do you tell God you love him? Right. And you praise him and you thank him. Uh, that's, that's the good seed, right? The good seed is that he put the spirit of his son in our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And everything that is good and right and holy and true and just and loving and pure and faithful stems from that seed. That's the born again of not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, it says in First Peter. So if you love God and you love his word, then these kinds of uh, logically constructed arguments, should I just quit, to me says that you're being, you're, it's like a malnourished child. It's like a child who's not been given the nourishment. And so that's either on the leadership that is in your community that's not feeding the flock uh, properly, not making sure the flock has pure water and fresh, healthy food. Uh, so there could be uh, that element, or it could be that you're that you have a series of rebellious um, behaviors that you haven't repented for, and they're getting heavier and heavier and heavier because you you've got a, a list of people that have claims against rightfully have something that where you've, you haven't made it right. Right. Um, and it, there could be an authority issue in there. So by the way, I know my video is out of sync with my mouth. This is one of the reasons that we need to switch programs. So hopefully by next week we'll have this all figured out. Okay, let's move on. Robbie writes in, he says, I want to present a question, hopefully material for the show. When we think of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, as in when a person gets saved, they now have the Holy Spirit literally in them. Is this what we what really happens? I know that there are many verses that state the Holy Spirit indwells a person, but is that to be taken literally? It seems to me that conviction for sin comes from a person's own spirit based on their understanding of the Bible and because they now have a desire to obey God. They obey him from their interpretation. If the Holy Spirit literally indwelled people, would not everyone be of the same understanding? Well, one thing you could look at all the groups in the, let's just go back to the first century where we have evidence in the scripture. You have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, you had, um, you know, we know of other groups from Josephus, like the Therapeutae and down in Egypt. Okay. All these were Jew Jewish groups. We have the Samaritans. Okay, there's four right there. Groups that made themselves into some sort of community, whether it was more literally or, or more uh, rigidly structured or more loosely, that had viewpoints and opinions about the scriptures and viewpoints and opinions about its application in their life and commitments to walking in those uh in those specific applications. So in other words, the, Samar the Samaritans were convinced of their way. The Essenes were con convinced of their way, the Pharisees of their way, the Sadducees of their way. So that's, that isn't by someone reading the Bible and applying it to their life is not evidence of the Holy spirit. The simple idea, cause the Mormons do that. The Jehovah's witnesses do that, right? You, you could be, you know, even Paul in Second Corinthians three says they read that they read the scriptures, but their their hearts are far from the Lord. That's that's the thing. That's the issue. So the issue is, uh, just because you have a group of people in reading the Bible and applying it, I think didn't the David Koresh guy at Waco? I mean, he was a Bible teacher. So. So, okay, so what is, okay, if that's true, then, then the question, I don't know if it was a he or a she, but the question goes, well, how come then there's, you see all this diversity? I would, I would say this. If two people who don't know each other meet in the, in the um, elevator or something, and they, they start talking and they learn they're believers, they, true believers will 
will connect with a unity. I believe that. I believe that spiritually mature people who've walked with the Lord for a long time and have, have, have um, grown and they've matured and they've demonstrated good fruits of the Spirit, those people will always find unity. And they'll be able to sit down together, you know. I think so. In the chat room, somebody says, don't Mormons bear good fruit? Like what? Yeah, it's a good question. I would have. I would to. say. I would say. You know, I, if you look at their propaganda, it sure looks uh, well. Well, I mean, I I think that the uh, argument is going to be waged that uh, you have good family lives, you have uh, you know kind people who are trying to help in their communities. Yeah, if you live next to a nor to a, if you live next door to a Mormon. And you're going on vacation. You say, hey, would you keep an eye on my house? Um, versus if I lived next door to a crack house and said, hey, told those guys, hey, I'm going on vacation. Will you watch over my house? Okay. That has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. The fact that I'm going to feel safer with the with the Mormon family next door than if it was a crack house. It's a, I, I'm not going to attribute that to the whole, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Mormon I mean, Sorry. this is this, I, I, maybe I'm maybe think I'm crazy on that, but that's this comes down to us needing to define. And when I say us, I don't mean robbing me. I mean, us as believers needing to define what it means to love. The fact of the matter is, is just because a person is a kind person, that's not necessarily love. Just because a person seems to have a, a healthy and good marriage, also not necessarily love. Because true love comes by obeying and loving God. So if you love and obey a false God, is that love? Right. And the answer is no, it's not. Because God is love, not a right. false God. And, 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 it's, and love, biblical love, is inseparable from truth. We, and, we cannot shy away from truth. And this yeah. gets back to, you know, back to sanctification in John. Sanctify them by, the, by thy word. Thy word is truth. Yeshua, if he would have, it says that Yeshua loved us, like Paul in Galatians 2. He, he loved me and gave himself for me. If Yeshua came and never called people out and never spoke the truth, there's no biblical way that he would be said to have loved. We see this. Look, Yeshua's expression of love is inextricable from his speaking truth, which means sometimes, you, which means you're not you're not going to please everybody, right? You're not you're not on a on a glad handing campaign. You're just going to you know try to win as many people over as you can. We see this. We see this in the in the uh, in the current U.S. political climate, right? The social justice warriors want to tell us, oh, you just need to love people. You need to accept people. And what they're saying is, and this applies to everyone, right? The LGBTQ community and everything. So you can't t- never tell anybody no. That's right. why and, there's that's and why I'm the not, homeless. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be kind to people and that we shouldn't try to help people who are in need. But when somebody has a, a an abscess tooth, okay, and mouth pain can be one of the worst, right? Oh. It, that is the worst. It, it affects your entire body. When somebody has an abscess tooth and it hurts and they're just miserable, the person who goes up to them and says, "I, you know what? Not a problem. I can help you. I love you. Just jump off this cliff and it'll help. It'll get rid of the, the pain. Now, is that love? No. No, of course not. They're helping them get rid of the pain. But ultimately, what's happening? You're sending them to their death. Instead, the right thing to do would be to actually fix the problem. Now, if we take this into the spiritual life as well, when a person believes in a false god or believes in horribly false doctrine that leads to Satan, essentially, as opposed to leading to the one true God, is that love? Now, you can mask it with all sorts of stuff. You can hug the person, you can be nice to them, your family might look good, 
But is that real love? No, the answer is no. Love is defined by who God is, and who God is is expressed in the 66-book canon. That's who God is, and that's, that's what love it. is. That's it. All right. Well, we well have said. we have a well couple said. more. Uh, these <laughs> these could be quick. Can you expand? Now, now we're moving away from the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk quickly about um, some non-canonical literature. Now, we got this from uh, someone who asked us this question. We had talked about how the Didache and groups such as, you know, FFOZ really pushed their uh, translation and, and, uh, and commentary on the Didache. And I don't know if people re- read the preface to, to books or not, but... In the preface, the person who writes the preface says, uh, Toby, Toby Janicki takes, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Toby Janicki takes an interesting perspective, whereas he assumes the book was written in the first century. And I think he assumes it was written by the apostles. Now, this is clearly controversial within any scholarly... Uh, I, I don't know any scholar who says that it was written by the apostles. I do know scholars who say it was written in the first century. We have unashamedly said that it clearly is not written in the first century, and we take this from some work that Larry Hurtado, who recently passed away, um, but what Dr. Hurtado uh, wrote on his blog. Would you like to expound on this, Rob? Sure. Well, and he was even just unpacking another a book review, I think, of another scholar. His name escapes me. But, I mean, the, the core thing that you can talk about are <clears throat> things that are in the Didache that appear as objects, as given um, uh, institutions or things. Um, and one of them is worship on the Lord's Day, which is, which is Sunday. Um, another is fasting, but not as these other people do. So, so when Yeshua is saying, change your routine so you, you don't appear like these other, this other group. That's, that's so silly to, you know, there's nowhere is that coherent with the, with what we learn in the scriptures. Another is, uh, oh, the gospel as a, as a written document, it treats this as it is in the gospel. And then it quotes the Lord's prayer or as you find in the gospel. So every time it says, as you find in the gospel and as is in the gospel, it's referring to the gospel as like a written source that they would they would uh consult and that's 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 totally a second century thing yeah we don't Um, hang on just a sec let's let's pause right there and expound on that for just a second for those who don't understand what is now being said the idea of referring to the gospel as a written work as in one of the gospels or as in one of the accounts that has been written down we don't hear that kind of language that language doesn't come around until the second century so to see it in the Didache means that, I mean, basically it means that the Didache was not written until the second century. We don't see that kind of formation of that kind of language until into the Didache. Another thing right. that we see, and I'm still doing work on this, but the idea of the Eucharist, uh, Eucharistos. Now, I understand that some people just say that this means uh, a, a, a blessing or a thanksgiving, giving, giving thanks. But... It's referred to as the Eucharist. Right, and, with rules. Right. And, now, and rules are given of how you're supposed to do it and all and and that's But the yeah. but the but the point is is that there are huge elements missing from what we would think of as the Eucharist in terms of a church structured ordeal. So it has to be earlier than say I would say it has to be earlier than 15160. But the idea that the Eucharist has actually become an, something that Christians are doing. Now, I know that there are people who say, oh, yeah, this came about early in the, in the first century. I totally disagree. I don't, think we have any, I don't think we have any evidence for that. I think that the idea of referring to the Eucharist as something that is being done by Christians doesn't come around until the second century. Right. And then it applies. <laughs> it applies... Yeshua's statement where Yeshua says, don't give what's, uh, you know, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't give what's holy to the dogs. In the Sermon on the Mount, it applies that to keeping people who shouldn't be taking the Eucharist out. It says, don't give what's holy to the dogs. It's trying to apply 
a teaching of Yeshua in a in a way that's that's not uh, because what it is it's saying this is a, a they're a pig or they're a dog and Yeshua didn't make that distinction. It's true that in First Corinthians eleven, Paul does say if you're going to take the um, the Lord's Supper, if you're going to keep the keep the feast, that you need to be introspective and not bring judgment on yourself. You need to take it seriously and sober-minded. Um, there's another one that it it says, uh, there's a noun called, um, in Greek, hikuriates, which means the Lord's, it's interpreted like the Lord's, um, oh, what was it? Like the Lord's power, where the Lord's power is present. There the Lord is. And it's another one like Eucharistia, it's got the um, definite article. It's the Lord's power. And so that's non-canonical. When, when you look at that, the, the curiates in um, the canon, in like Paul, it just means authorities in the heavens, like there's authorities and principalities. It's one of those. But now in the Didache, it's the thing, and it's it, it has to do with some way that they're trying to create community. So if you read, I would just encourage you, if you're interested in the Didache, find a, an English translation online and just read it. Read it from start to finish. It's not very long. And you'll see what it is. It's a it's a it's an effort to try to shape and, and establish a community. Um, of Gentiles. That these, what we're doing, we're just looking at internal problems. There's other, there's, there's other internal problems. I'll, I'll give one right here that touches on the FFOZ side, because, and I type, I put this so I could remember it. In six two, it says, uh, "For if you are able able to bear the whole yoke of the Lord, you will be perfect. But if you are not able, do what you can." Okay, so the idea is, in order to be perfect, you have to bear the whole yoke of the Lord. Well, the way that's taught is like, oh, that's the whole. That's like all the 613 commandments. Well, that's hogwash. Because in 413 of the same book, it says, You must not forsake the Lord's commandments and must guard what you have received, neither adding nor subtracting anything. So how are those compatible? How would it be compatible for me to say, on one hand, Caleb, don't forsake the Lord's commandments. Add nothing, subtract nothing. And then in the... You know, a few verses later, I say, well, if you're able to bear the whole yoke of the Lord, you'll be perfect. But if not, eh, it's it's not it's confused. Um, the appeal. So what's the oh, you know, this is all internal problems. External problems is manuscript, tenuous manuscript history. Our oldest manuscript is like 11th century. And then you have mention of it early earlier. Uh, but we don't know if it's what it's called is is the same text. It's just full of problems. There's, there's just uh, no reason that the Didache should be looked at anything other than a an interesting expression of some early group that was trying to second century trying to set up community rules for itself. But there was, they lived in a time where there was a gospel that was written, and they had access to read it. It was a time where they had a community meals that they were promoting, and they were calling it the Eucharist. They were worshiping. It, it's similar to um, uh, Ignatius' writings because it contrasts you know, the way we celebrate things versus the way they do. We celebrate on the Lord's Day. We fast on these days, not like those other days. Um, and also there's this idea of perfection, you know, that is uh, is is problematic. But uh, anyway. So next week we're going to talk about, somebody asked us to recap this, and we will recap it quickly next week, but why Enoch, Jubilees, and Yasher or Jasher are not in the canon. Um, this is a good question. It's one that we've touched on probably two or three times before. But you know what? We're in our seventh season, so why not touch on it again? So we're going to touch on that next week. Uh, someone asked in the chat room, and I'll give people a, a, a teaser for Messiah Matters More. Somebody asked in the, in the chat room, how do you guys deal with the concern of your children not being saved? I'm going to 
hold off on that. We will answer that in our Messiah Matters More uh, video, which should come out either today or tomorrow. Um, and if you are a supporter, you can find that on Messiah Matters More. And yeah, anything else? Oh, isn't the Eucharist a Catholic and Eastern Orthodox thing? Well, it depends what you mean by Catholic. Um, I don't believe Roman Catholic. You'll have to read Caleb's thesis when he finishes it. Yeah, the, the Eucharist comes about long before the Roman Catholic Church or the split between East and West comes about. So, um, no, it would not. The Eucharist is not a Roman Catholic or a uh, uh, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox thing. Uh, it is a, it, it certainly is a replacement, I believe, for Passover. And I think there's a natural progression within the church because of the, because of actually because of believers who are following um, Passover. So, all right. Well, it's been fun. It's been real. Uh, we hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. Mm-hmm.